everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Mag, and in episode three of my Military Stories with a Survival Twist, we asked the question, what do you do with dead weight and stragglers, especially when you love them? Check this out. bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Hey there, hey there. Welcome everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And just to give you a little bit of a recap, the last few episodes, what I've been doing is sharing some of my old military stories from my, from my days in the army and telling you the lessons that I've learned, survival-based lessons, from some of those experiences that I've had. And this week, what I want to talk about are dead weight and stragglers. So a little bit of a mini history lesson here. The bulk of my time was spent in the 10th Mountain Division, where I was in the light infantry. I was a forward observer for uh, infantry unit and uh, worked a lot of times with long-range reconnaissance patrols. And the thing about 10th Mountain Division, if you aren't familiar with the division itself, is it's a rapid deployment light infantry force that really is meant to go anywhere in any corner of the world at a moment's notice. And typically, we don't have, being light infantry, we don't have a lot of, let's say, transportation support. So a lot of the times, we didn't have choppers. We didn't have Humvees. Most of the time, what we were doing was we were using our LPCs, or our leather personnel carriers, which basically meant we walked everywhere that we went. And we carried everything that we had on our back. And all of our training missions that we would go out on would always start off with a road march. I think I can only remember once or twice in all the years I was with 10th Mountain Division where we actually got in a vehicle and rode out to where we were going to be forming our training missions. It always started off with a an extra long road march. Now, not everybody was in as good a shape as other people would be. So inevitably, no matter where we were, whether it was going out to the field, coming back from the field, or if we were on a training mission and we had to go from point A to point B for our, to, to hit our objective, we would always start off walking, but then there would always be somebody that slowly starts dragging back, right? They slowly start dragging back, and then they're back a little bit more. Now we take a, we would take a break every 45 minutes or so. You gotta change the socks, gotta do stuff, gotta make sure that you're all, you know, readjust your, your equipment to make sure that it's not, you know, screwing around with your body at all here. So we would take a break and those people would be able to catch up a little bit. Typically there'd be some sergeant behind there, you know, yelling at them to get on up there or whatever. But there would always be those people that really weren't in as good a shape as other people were. Or they were smaller and weaker than the rest, right? So we're all carrying pretty much the same gear. But if you're a smaller person, you're only five foot six, let's say, and only 120 pounds, well, you're going to have a harder time carrying that same exact weight than somebody who is six foot four and 200 pounds, right? So you always have the stragglers. Now, at some point, these stragglers can be, end up becoming dead weight. 
what ends up happening is that they basically just can't go on anymore. And sometimes that is because they're just too tired, they're too exhausted, they're out of shape. Sometimes it's because of an injury. It could be uh, they have massive blisters on their feet or something that something that doesn't allow them to go on, no matter whether they're 6'4", 200 pounds, or, or 5'6", 120 pounds. It doesn't matter. So when that happens, well, you can't just leave your soldier behind, right? Imagine if you're out in combat and you're going to the objective. You're not just going to say, well, sorry, guy, you're out of here. You're only as strong as the weakest link in your chain. So that person who is straggling or becomes dead weight, well, that could be your M60 gunner who is going to lay down suppressive fire for you when you get to your objective. So you're not going to leave a person behind. So what it does, it ends up keeping everyone behind because you've got to keep that person with you. Now, in training or whatever, we might be able to stick them inside of a Humvee. Um, it's not, you actually don't want to be the person that goes in the back of Humvee because, you know, you're, you're kind of made fun of by everybody else. Or if your, your combat boots aren't, aren't, uh, you know, you get too many blisters, or whatever, and you're there in tennis shoes instead of combat boots like everyone else, you get made fun of. You like, you don't want to be that person. Um, but inevitably we would, tr you, you would, you would take that person and when they can just go, can't go on any further, you put them in the back of a Humvee. And you bring them up to the objective and they just have to deal with the ridicule. Okay. So what does this have to do with your survival? Well, actually quite a bit, right? Because you are only as strong as your weakest link. And so lesson number one out of this is don't be the weakest link. Okay. So this is going to require you to really take a good, honest look at your level of fitness, if you're forced to evacuate in a scenario, or even if you are able to stay and shelter in place, you still are going to be under an immense amount of stress. There's a lot of stress to the body's um, recovery ability. You're going to be losing sleep. You're going to have, you're going to be losing strength. And you might need that in order to even perhaps save your family from part of the disaster, right? Like you, what if you have somebody that's trapped under parts of your house? Well, you're going to be able to, you're going to have to get you're going to have to lift, lift some stuff up. You might have to extract them in some way, or you might have to swim to safety. You might have to, you don't know what you're going to have to face. And the better shape that you're in, the better you're going to be able to perform when the scenario calls for it, right? So you don't want to be that weakest link. If you are in a survival team, you don't want to be the person that keeps everyone back. When we talk about evacuations, we talk about survival, we talk about how Minutes count. Seconds can count. Okay. So the, you, your goal is to get from point A to point B as fast as you possibly can. Now, of course, we're talking about in a bug out situation here and a lot of this stuff. Okay. So when you're forced to evacuate, you know, you don't want to be that weakest link. So take a look in the mirror. Take a look at what you're doing for yourself to be able to stay in the best shape that you possibly can. And this isn't about having six-pack abs and being a, a, a tactical fitness model. It's really just about being as fit as you possibly can. Okay? So, does that mean that you should go, you know, go to the gym? Yes, it probably should. But also, you know, just because you lift weights or do something like that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're fit for something like an evacuation. I can tell you that it's totally different walking with a backpack on your back for several miles is it's a lot different than going and being able to bench press 200 pounds. It's a lot different than even biking or sprinting or something like that. It's you're using totally different muscles and you're using them for a longer period of time. So it actually uses different muscle fiber types 
then unless you train those, you're really not going to be in as good a shape as you possibly can. All right. So you want to train the muscles that you're going to have to use in a survival scenario. Now, that does include strength, but it also includes endurance. So I'm going to ask you to do something that, frankly, a lot of people, even expert preppers, if you will, don't do. And that is go and grab your bug out bag, put it on your back and go for a walk. It doesn't have to be, you know, sometimes we would do a 12 or a 25 mile road march to get out someplace. It doesn't have to be that far, but just start off with a mile, then two miles, then three miles. Five miles is a landmark for you to actually hit because if you can go five miles, one, you're going to find out how well your equipment works for you. And two, you're going to realize what doesn't work for your feet as well. And that's going to be part of another episode that we've got coming up. But the point here is for you to really take an honest look at your level of fitness and then do something about it. Okay, so that's lesson number one. But I know that a lot of you are not going to take action on it. Frankly, probably most of you are not going to take action on it. So that brings me to lesson number two out of here, which is when somebody becomes dead weight, what do you do? They go in the back of the Humvee, right? Well, look. Your goal in a scenario where you're forced to evacuate is not to throw the bug out bag on and start heading out over the wasteland. The first thing you can do is go inside of your vehicle, right? If you're forced to evacuate, your best means of transportation is going to be your vehicle. So your goal here is to plan for all five phases of a disaster. Now I go into depth in this in our book that you can get for free over at survivalgearsecrets.com. We talk about the five phases of a disaster in a, in a special video that you get along with the book. And essentially you need to plan for all of those five phases because you don't know which phase you're going to be pushed into because your goal is simply to keep you and your family and those you love alive. So hopefully that means that you can stay at home. You can shelter in place. I know a lot of people think that that's the only thing that they really need to plan for because maybe they're older Maybe they're disabled. Maybe they have a spouse who's disabled. Maybe they just think the worst thing you can do is be outside of your home. The problem is, is that there's going to come a time or there could come a time where that decision is going to be made for you. So you can be forced from your home, either because of a natural disaster and you're right in the path of it and you're forced out of your home. Maybe your house is destroyed in a disaster. You're forced out of your home. Maybe there's even civil unrest and looting happening. And the best place to be is not where all the looting is happening and trying to defend your home. Okay, that works for the first couple of people to get shot. And then somebody just throws a Molotov cocktail on your roof and then you're burned out of your home. So don't don't think that you're just going to sit there with an AR-15 and just start picking people off as they get around to you. Okay, so the fact is you can be forced out of your home so you can get inside of your vehicle. So that's going to save you right from. Okay, well. That's going to that's gonna save you from being the weakest link, right? You can simply drive out. Not so fast because you can get stopped by any sort of obstacle that's out there, whether it is natural disaster that has destroyed part of the road or you just hit that traffic jam, that dead stop traffic jam that hits, that hits like a parking lot in the highways on your way out of town and then you're stuck. Well, you've got to go on and you've got to use other means of transportation to get you there. There are five phases of getting of, of of survival and disaster preparedness and dis, I'm sorry disaster response that you need to prepare for, and so that's going to save you from being a weak link first of all, but it's also going to show you how you can transition from phase to phase to phase seamlessly so that you can get to your final destination safely and protect your family. 
Okay, so you've got to prepare for all five phases. Again, go grab the book. It's free. You can go over to survivalgearsecrets.com, get a copy of it. It'll explain everything that you need to know. Okay, and then finally, lesson number three is that the quality of your gear matters. The quality of your gear matters. Now, I just got back yesterday from being out at PrepperCon 2017 out in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I spoke on the stage there. I spoke about a lot of the things that I talk with you about, and there were lots of vendors there with lots of different equipment. In fact, there were a couple of different vendors there that had tactical bags, bug out bags there. Okay. And a lot of them sold. I mean, they, they sold a lot of bug out bags out there, but you know how I am about bug out bags. And in fact, I always start my space, my stage presentation by telling everyone, look, I'm going to say some things that are going to offend you. I'm going to make some enemies in the audience right here because frankly, most people are doing it wrong. Even yes, even the expert preppers that are out there in the audience with their 511 tactical pants and their kill them all at God sort them out t-shirt. And they're really cool, tactical cap that they've got on their head. I actually even saw one guy walking around in bullet in a bulletproof vest, believe it or not. So, so look, I I always preface it. Look, I'm not going to make any. Uh, uh, I'm I'm probably going to make some enemies, uh, but I think I'm also going to make some friends by telling you the right way to do things. Now, the bug out bags that these vendors were were selling, I can tell you right now, um, I would not ever use them for an evacuation ever because there are some very specific things that I know from being, you know, from having to road march a hundred, hundred miles with a backpack on and my weapon and communication equipment and extra batteries and extra ammo that people that just buy those, those simple bags that seem like a great deal. And because they're cheap, um, they will fail you when it actually comes time for it. So the quality of your gear is going to really matter. And that five-mile road march that you're working up to with your backpack, well, that's going to start pointing out where these things can go wrong. So one of the biggest things that I tell people, the very first, when somebody says, take a look at my bug out bag and, and let me know what you think, or if I see something advertised out there, it seems like such a great deal. The very first thing that I look for is, one, does it have a waist strap? Now, I recently did an article Again, I'm in a glass house. I realize that and I'm throwing stones at other people. I won't name names, but I did a recent article of a Navy SEAL backpack that didn't even have a waist strap on it. Did not have a waist strap on it. Now look, folks, here's, here's the bottom line fact. Your waist strap is where you carry the weight of the backpack. It's not on your shoulders. It is not on your shoulders. You carry it on your waist. The shoulder straps, and I demonstrated this to people at PrepperCon, the shoulder straps are only there to keep the backpack from flopping all over the place. That's it. That's the only reason for it. It really should not be a load-bearing because your shoulders are going to give out at some point. Where you want to carry that is right on your hips, which is your center of gravity, and it's where you can carry the most weight. So unfortunately, this Navy SEAL pack didn't even have a waist strap. But all of the packs that were sold at PrepperCon that I saw, they had they they a lot of them did have a waist strap on it, but it was nothing more than a nylon belt that went around the waist. And what happens is is that this ends up digging into your side in less than a mile. You can test it out yourself. If all you've got is a nylon belt around you. That is this extra wide. It was about three inches wide or two and a half, three inches wide. But I promise you that when you're carrying your weight on there, that nylon belt is going to dig into your skin and you're going to have welts on the side of you and you're not going to be able to, you're going to end up being 
the weakest link in the chain and eventually dead weight. You're going to start dumping stuff out of that pack because it just hurts too much. So you are looking for a, um, and, and if you have any of our X-Bob or Extreme Bug Out Bag packs, then you know what we did was we custom designed like an extra wide padded belt that goes around your hips because that is the most important part of it. Now, the other thing that, like something that we did with our pack is that we made it with waterproof, a waterproof uh, material on the shell. So anybody that has been out, I mean, look, you're going to hit the elements, right? It's going to rain and you're carrying that water with you. So if your fabric and anything inside of your pack is taking in, is taking on water, then that's going to be added weight for you. Added weight means that you are eventually going to possibly be that weakest link of the chain and dead weight. So that's, that's another part of it. And the other thing is you want to make sure that you have a molly based system. Now, you know, our whole, our whole approach is to be tactical, but not look tactical. That's why our X-Bobs are designed the way that they are. But the molly approach where you have additional pouches, well, that's going to allow you because what we did in the army was when that person ended up becoming a straggler, instead of just, just shoving them into a Humvee, what we would inevitably end up doing is taking off some of that weight from them. So somebody that was smaller or weaker or wasn't making it, you're not just going to say, you know, tough shit, you know, bring it up or I'm going to stick you in the back of a Humvee. We would help our brothers out. So I would take on maybe somebody's, um, you know, extra ammo or I would take on the extra batteries that they had there. Or we would start, we would start lightening their load so that they could stay with the rest of the pack. All right. So the Molly approach where you have tactical pouches on the outside of your, your backpack works really well because you can take those off. Let's say that your spouse has their own pack, which they should. Every member of your family should have it. Even my dog has their, his own pack. But those tactical pouches come off, and I can put those on my pack because my pack is Molly compatible like my wife's is, and I can put that on there. We also have, as one, with our X-Bob system, we have one specific pack that has a belt on it. So I call it a, a blowout pack, and basically that can come right off. And my kids, you know... If we have a grandkid that can that can use it, they can carry something with them, even if it's just food, even if it's just whatever it is. There's something that you could take off there and put it around your. It has a built-in belt. It'll go right around your waist, and at least somebody can carry something with that. The other pouches can go right on that same belt, so you can really customize the amount of weight that you're taking or that you take from somebody else to be able to help them along, to help those those stragglers not be stragglers anymore, and to avoid that dead weight syndrome. Okay, so those are three lessons to, that you can hopefully learn from those poor guys at the back of the road march line in their tennis shoes, getting ridiculed by everyone else. Uh, don't let that be you. These three lessons are going to help you not only not be the dead weight, but also help you and your family get to safety in a disaster. All right. So stand by for episode number four, where I'll share another military story with you with a survival twist. And it's all coming up. Next week, this is Jeff Anderson saying, prepare, train, and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. 
This has been Modern Combat and Survival.